and welcome to the Record Rangers podcast. I'm Johnny McFarlane and today I'm joined by the Sunday Mail Scott McDermott. On the pod today, we look back over a tremendous seven, that's open bracket, seven, close bracket, to one victory over Motherwell. We assess Carlos Pena's return to Ibrox, Scott's groaning in the background, and he's brought a box of tissues this time. And we go tonto over the Lone Rangers and ask who Gerard should be looking to keep at Ibrox permanently. Scott, we're going to start, as I've said, with the 7-1 victory over Motherwell. Were you uh, watching the game? Were you at the game? What, what was your take uh, on it? I watched the game, yep. Uh, and watched again the, the highlights on Sunday night. Um, great result, Johnny. Great second half performance. There's no getting away for that. Uh, Rangers were really clinical in front of goal. I thought that uh, I thought some of the moves and some of the kind of uh, like a passing that build up to goals were really good second half, albeit against ten men, obviously. Um, so Stephen Gerrard would have been delighted with it. It uh, had that relentless edge that he's been asking it, for. It did, um, but I mean, <laughs> people think I'm kind of pouring cold water. Over it a wee bit, right? And I don't want to be, I don't want to be negative, obviously, about a seven-one victory. However, I do think at one each, Rangers were no toiling, but it was a fairly even game. And watching Rangers, I think Gerard would have been worried about them defensively at one each. I thought they looked really ropey, particularly Katic for the for the Motherwell goal was just terrible. He had a strange game because he had a couple of good moments, but then he's been rolled by Bowman there in a way that a centre-half of that level should never be rolled. I think he looks a bag of nerves at the minute, Johnny, honestly. I thought the in the Spartak-Moscow game, right for the off, he looked nervous. Now, I don't know, I don't know if it's because he had such a great start to life at Rangers and then there was that shock of the manager leaving him out for no apparent reason other than the fact that, that Joe Worrell had, had come in on loan. Um, he was then brought back into the team for a game at Hamilton in the plastic pitch, which is obviously tough, your first game back. He made an error in the Hamilton game in the second half and immediately got taken off, which which isn't great for someone's confidence. And that obviously happened again at the weekend, taken off at half-time after, as you say, being rolled for the, the bombing goal. I just, I just thought it looked really... Indecisive, um, a real lack of confidence. Me, totally different for the guy that was, you know, that was so solid in these uh, away European games at the start of the season. Make no mistake, he was taken off because of his performance, wasn't he? There wasn't any indication so. that it was an injury or anything like that. And, and by the way, again, I know it was against ten men, but you know, Gareth McCauley came on for his first game, and without getting carried away, you could visibly see McCauley shouting at other players pulling guys into position, you know, defending set pieces, he was organising, you know, things that, that Katic wasn't doing, uh, and they definitely looked a lot more solid. As I say, albeit against 10 men, there was no getting away for the fact that the penalty decision and uh, the sending off had a massive impact in the game. I still think Rangers, there's every chance Rangers would have been on to win the game, you know, 11 v 11, but that had a major a major impact without, well, without taking away you know, some of the, the moves in the second half. Well, let's talk about that penalty decision because it's become something of a, a hot potato with Michael Stewart talking about it on BBC Scotland. What was your take? 
My initial thought was it was a clear penalty and with Cal McHugh having already been booked, I thought it would be another yellow card. I mean, I wasn't surprised in the slightest in real time uh, with the decisions that the referee made. I can understand uh, Michael's kind of viewpoint with the whole, no, is, is it deliberate? No, and, and he's trying to get across the fact that Carol McHugh didn't deliberately put his hand up in front of the ball. Um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just read the rules from the IFAP so we've got the context of that. Handling the ball involves a deliberate act of a player making contact with the ball with the hand or arm. The following must be considered. The movement of the hand towards the ball and not the ball towards the hand. The distance between the opponent and the ball, the unexpected ball in brackets, and the position of the hand does not necessarily mean that there is an offence. Yeah. Um, so with that, that ribbon, you can kind of see Michael Stewart's point. However, my view would be that if you take it literally, then there would be almost no penalties because there's so few, few penalties given for someone who handballs in a sort of basketball sense, who deliberately knocks the ball away with yeah, either a fist yeah. or a movement. And to me, the the big aspect of it is that <laughs> Carl McHugh deliberately made himself big. I think that's the that's the point is that. It's about your interpretation of the word deliberate. Cal McHugh has deliberately deliberately slid in to try and block that shot. Now, so he's deliberately put his body into that shape, if you like, to try and stop the shot. So therefore, if the ball hits his hand when his body's in that shape, then you would need to say it's a, it's a penalty. Um, and of course, no, the ball's going towards goal. I mean... Pe- I think, I, think, I think everyone would have been. I think everyone in the country, no, maybe bar a few like Michael, would have been stunned if that hadn't been given as a as a penalty. Yeah, there also needs to be a disincentive, doesn't there, to players just making themselves huge every time they face a shot? Yeah. Because under that interpretation from Michael Stewart, then any time you were facing a long range shot, you would just make yourself big, open your arms up as as large as possible, yeah. and then it's a situation that if someone strikes the ball hard. It's ball to hand. And and that has to be disincentivised, doesn't yeah, it? And also, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, Rangers conceded a penalty at Hamilton, did they not, with, with Russell Martin in a similar instant, albeit he was a bit closer to the player. But he slid in. Uh, if you listen to Michael or obviously Richard Foster had a, had a say on it as well during the week, that basically when you slide in, your arms automatically go up. No, if that's the case, Rangers shouldn't have lost the penalty at Hamilton because Russell Martin slid in, his arm automatically went up, uh, it struck his hand and a penalty was given. So I can see where where he's coming from in terms of you know, that kind of deliberate act. I don't think Carol McHugh, when he slid in to block that challenge, has deliberately thought in his head, I'll try and, I'll try and get my hand onto this. That's clearly not what's happened, but... He deliberately slid in in that manner to try and block the shot, and it's hit his hand. So I think ultimately it's a it's a penalty. Yeah, and uh, this is one of these occasions when you, if you look at the IFAB rules and spend time poring over them, and it's very boring to do this, Scott. But when you do it, it just becomes muddier and muddier and muddier because you realise that there is so much room for interpretation in the football rules. You love, you love the IFAB rules, don't you? I, I like to get stuck into them a little bit. I have to say, especially over the Morelos incident and the, the idea of brutality <laughs> and deliberate violence and all that was quite interesting, but it, it's impossible to miss the fact that there is a large area for interpretation in the rules. And if you start going by the letter of the law, by the wording of the rules, and not 
interpreting them in a way that makes common sense. That's yeah. I think the the way referees talk about it in the spirit of the rules in the yeah. spirit of the game. Yeah. Then I think you you just open the door for some crazy crazy decisions. And I think if they hadn't given that penalty, to me it wouldn't have been a good decision. But I yeah. do see where Michael Stewart is coming from 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 his point of view why he would say that based on the rules. But you have to be more open than that. In terms of after that, Rangers dominated the game. They really went for the jugular. Uh, they were aggressive. And Morelos got the, the third. And then from that point, it was clearly going to be yeah. a walk in the park. And we saw Rangers creative players coming to the fore. I thought Ovi Ajaria and Scott Arfield pushed much further forward in this game. Definitely. You've talked about Ajaria very perceptively, I think. First person that I heard talking about it that he was dropping deep to collect the ball and trying to create play from a lower position in midfield in this game wasn't the case. Yeah, it, it was... And it helped him that obviously Motherwell were down a man. I mean, even in the second half, you could see Ryan Jack bursting into the box a few times. Um, and that's what happens when you've got the extra man. It makes it a bit easier. But it was still it was still good to see. It was still good to see Arfield, Jack, Ajaria getting further up the pitch, getting into the box, getting shots off, you know, playing... Playing final passes, um, I agree with you. I thought Ejaria and Arfield in particular were, were fantastic. Um, probably more so Arfield because there was a real end product there with the with the two goals. Even his first goal at eleven v eleven is a great run into the box, a lovely touch and, and finish as well. And I think Scott Arfield's been good for Rangers so far. Clearly, he's going to be a good signing, but. He feels as if there's still a wee bit more in him, and I think you no know, Gerard has to get that out. He's got the potential to be a really big player for Rangers, have big moments in games, um, and I thought he got up to that that kind of level on Sunday. Um, ahead of them, Morelos did well as he's as he's been doing, and obviously the two wide men get a lot of get a lot of praise, Gresda and Middleton. Yeah, well, I think we should talk about them in more detail, Scott. Um, is it fair to say that you're still not entirely convinced by Gresda, even though he got two goals and assists in that game? It is. I mean, it sounds daft, and I know fans will, will slaughter me for this, but I'm still not convinced by him, Johnny. Um, I just look at him, I think... What more can he do? Two <sighs> goals and an assist? I don't think he looks particularly comfortable on the ball. To be honest, in terms of technique, and I know he took the goal, the individual kind of solo goal that he got when he when he got into the box. I mean, Roger respect the mother would defend him. There was literally six of them in front of him. I mean, he barely <laughs> he had one week in a shimmy, and the, the whole the whole defence opened up. Um, listen, the jury's still out. I don't. I'm not being critical of Gresda. I don't think he had a pre-season before he came. Bad injury. Yeah, the bad injury Osijek. Um, he's clearly rated highly by the national team. He's also in the Albania squad this week for the for the game against Scotland. Um, Rangers clearly seen something in him. They've paid a bit of cash for him, so I mean, there's got to be a there's got to be a player in there. I'm just I just don't want to get carried away. I thought I thought he did okay on Sunday, but I think there's there has to be has to be more. I agree with you about not getting carried away, and it's far too early to make judgments. Just as it was too early to write them off, yeah. it's too early to, to get bigging them up. Um, but what I felt watching the game was that as the game went on, as things started to come off for him in that second half, you saw him visibly grow. Yeah. He started to have that confidence, have that bit of a strut, that bit of arrogance about I his play. And 70 minutes, he was doing well. 80 minutes, he's doing really well. And in the last 10 minutes, he just looked like a completely different player. So it's yeah. whether or not he can take that 
confidence into the next game. He looks like a guy needs an arm round him. And also, Gerard was going to take him off just before he scored. But I think it was significant that Gerard then thought, I'm going to leave him on. Because as you say, you could visibly see him getting that lift. You know, the reaction of the crowd to the goal. So instead, he took Madoten on. He took Madoten off and left Gresda on for the rest of the game. And as you say, he got better and better as the game went on. And the other thing I'd say about him is, and people might just think it's a, well, it's insignificant, but but I don't. Is that you see the reaction when he scored for his teammates? They all looked like really pleased for him. You no, know, they were all over him. No, everybody came over in, in celebration. Um, I think there's been a few like quotes. At press conferences, stuff for other players who have said, No, they like him. He looks like a guy who, no, even though he's a, a foreigner, looks like a guy who's really willing to integrate himself into the, the dressing room. It looks like the other players have kind of taken him, taken him in as well. So that was, no, that was pleasing to see. And as you say, that allied to, to the confidence that he should get for getting off the mark and getting the two goals. Um, we t- hopefully see him get. Get even better. I mean, for him personally, the international breaks maybe came at a, came at a bad time because he would have wanted just another start for Rangers to really try and try and build on that. But I suppose he could do that by sticking a couple past Scotland on Saturday night. And Glenn Middleton and Scott, we were discussing him on uh, WhatsApp uh, after the game. I just so impressed by this kid, eighteen years old. That's five goals now this season, sixteen sixteen games, but. If you actually look at the minutes, he's only actually played 493. So it's 5.4 games in terms of 90 minutes. So yeah. five goals in 5.4 games. I've rarely seen a kid at 18 make such an impact in the at the top flight in terms of League Cup, European games and uh, the Premiership. Uh, as what Middleton's done, I think it's been very impressive. I think you have to go to someone like Aidan McGeady to see that kind of impact. Because other players on the wing, like Ryan Fraser and people like that, they weren't playing at this level at that age. Yeah. It was later in their careers. And the reason I think he's got such talent and the reason I think he'll end up at a Premier League team is because he's so direct. He's not a boy that wants to play on the inside. He's always going to the byline. He's throwing the ball in. He's got terrific pace. And there's so few players that do that nowadays. It feels like it's almost coached out of wingers. Yeah. They have to be these sort of like slightly... Side-driven number tens, so they're they're almost playing like a number ten, but in wide areas. And this boy is a traditional, old-fashioned winger. Yeah, John Robertson type. I agree with you, and I think as well as being direct, I think the the attribute that will kind of uh, make him stand out might be his finishing. You no, know, for a, for a winger, I think I've been really impressed when he's getting a. When he first came into the Rangers team, he had a couple of kind of half chances. He was still a bit nervous. He kind of snatched at them. I remember there was one in Europe. He kind of snatched it. Uh, I think there was one in a, an away game as well. Uh, I can't quite remember what one. But I think the fact that he's grown in confidence, the manager's shown a bit more faith in him in terms of he's actually starting him in big games, you not know, like Moscow away and uh, obviously the game on Sunday. I think his finishing looks terrific. The way he took his goal against Motherwell was excellent. Wrong he, foot. His bad foot. Yeah. Um, in terms of his general play, I, listen, I agree with you. At his age, for him to be in the Rangers team in the top flight, where obviously, no whether people like it or not, Rangers are, are challenging up there at the top of the league. They're playing in big pressure games that they need to win. No, for a kid that age to go in there and start games is a big is a big feat. Uh, 
I still think obviously he's got a he's got a long way to go. I mean, you're talking about being being direct um, and no one to play on the inside. I think he still has to mix it up a wee bit. We've spoken about it before. Now he'll still need to learn that when it's no on in the outside and when there's no when there's no experienced fullbacks that are that are clued up and know what he's going to do and uh, know how to deal with it. He's got to mix it up a wee bit and, and come inside and be able to play. But I think he's got the ability do that as I say I've seen him playing through the middle for you know, Scotland youth teams I'm sure he played all across the, the kind of front line for, for Norwich's reserves and under 23s and stuff so he's definitely got the ability he's grown in confidence now and Gerard will be delighted with the, the progress he's made I me mean, consider obviously he was at Ibrox last season but couldn't quite break through no, you think of the improvements since Stephen Gerrard's come in, he'll, he'll, the manager will take a lot of, kind of personal pride in that because he seems to have really brought him on and you know, despite his age, he now looks like an established first-team player. Yeah, certainly does. An absolutely excellent and uh, very nice way to cap off uh, the victory with a good performance for a young uh, a young Scottish player. Huh. Now, we're going to move on and we've had the news that Carlos Peña is on his way back. He put out a message, and I don't speak Spanish, so I'm, I'm relying on what uh, other people have uh, translated, but it certainly looks like he's coming back to Ibrox. Uh, now, you were in the Sunday Mail on Sunday, Scott, saying that you didn't think that, that would actually uh, go through. Um, what's what's the latest as you understand it? Well, I mean, he's due back at Rangers in January. Johnny, that's when his loan at Cruz Azul ends. Now, obviously, he went from Cruz Azul to... Subsequently went to Necaxa in in Mexico and, and obviously that hasn't worked out for him either. And they're wanting they're wanting rid of him. Uh, my understanding is as far just as far as Rangers are concerned, they agreed a loan contract with Cruz Azul until January. And as far as Rangers are aware, that hasn't changed. So whether he comes back to Glasgow for a few days or a week or whatever. Um, Rangers believe the player belongs to Cruz Azul until January and that's when Rangers will then deal with the, the situation in terms of what to do with them. Um, looking even further ahead than that, I don't believe anyone at Rangers, uh, including uh, Stephen Gerrard, believes that there's any real future for him. Um, listen, I wouldn't rule out in January no, if Rangers get away for the winter break or whatever, maybe Stephen Gerrard will say, come along, let's have a look at you, see what your fitness is like or whatever. But I would be surprised at that and I'd be absolutely flabbergasted if, if there was any sort of future for Carlos Peña. And that, and that means, you no, know, that's a problem for Rangers financially in terms of they're going to need to sort out his, sort out his contract and get him off the, the wage bill. But I think... At the moment, that's what they'd be willing to willing to do. That stat that always gets thrown back at you whenever you criticise Carlos Peña, Scott, five goals in 14 games, it doesn't tell the whole story, though, does it? And he's not a player, in terms of his work rate, in terms of his uh, discipline, who's going to fit into a Steven Gerrard team, based on what we've seen in the first 26 games of this no, season. Not, not at all. I mean, you look at the... You look at that three-man midfield Rangers have got, just now, if you just take Sunday and you know, Ryan Jack, Arfield and Najaria, I mean, the work that they put in um, is incredible. Even Najaria, who's seen as a bit of a flair player, put, I think puts in a real shift. Um, so, 
you can't see Pena being anywhere near that, to be honest. Then you think of the midfielders at Rangers have still got to come back or they've still got there, no, your Koulibaly's, Rossiter, Dorans, or whatever. How Pena is going to challenge them uh, is, is beyond me. And listen, that's that. I mean, I'm fed up with people. I, I can't believe it baffles me why some Rangers fans out there going me social media still think this guy deserves a chance because honestly anybody that watched him in the flesh can see that he's nowhere near nowhere near good enough listen anyone who listens to this podcast knows I like my football stats but this is the ultimate example of where stats can just take you down a blind alley yeah. and we're going to discuss a man who also uh, exemplifies that in Josh Windass in a minute but Pena, yes, he did score five goals in 14 games, but he's playing for Rangers. Uh, you know, two of the goals were against St. Johnson uh, in a game that was fairly comfortable. He did provide that fox in the box, that movement uh, that is difficult to pick up from the number 10 position, but he provided so little else in yeah. these games. And that's what that stat doesn't tell you. It tells you he scored five goals in 14, but it doesn't tell you that he offered almost nothing else yeah. in each of these games. It's amazing still to think they started an old firm game. And you know, Pedro Cachina somehow thought he was going to occupy Scott Brown and kind of uh, upset Scott Brown in an old firm game at Ibrox and really caused my problem when, as we all know, he did you know, next to nothing in the game and ended up being ended up being substituted. That was his that was his big chance, as was Motherwell at Hamden. Uh, semi-final of the, of the League Cup again disappeared taken off again I mean just nowhere near it and listen I know a lot of players around that time were, were culpable uh, but no he wasn't putting a shift in technically no I don't think he was very proficient no, I, I seen him that was the odd thing yeah, because the, the YouTube videos and things like that you would believe that this is a guy I'd that say, had technical quality see one thing I, I thought I thought he was a decent finisher. Like you're talking about the goals when he was presented with a chance. No, he took a few of them, um, but I just thought in general play he couldn't link play. You no know, simple passes. His positional sense, I don't think was all there either. Uh, listen, you know my you know my thoughts. I don't think he's anywhere near good enough. I think Steven Gerrard will have been told about Pena's performances while he was there first time. I'm sure you'll have watched them. Yeah, and I'd be amazed. Listen, I don't doubt Steven Gerrard likes a challenge and likes to you know, maybe look at a player and think, no, I can get the best out of him. But if ever there was a lost cause in that regard, I think it might be might be Carlos. I suppose the financial aspect of the deal, and I say this knowing that we don't know the full details of it, but a, a price that was said to be $2.2 million, or certainly around that ballpark with a a wage certainly over £20,000 a week by all accounts. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Scotty, um, but uh, that is going to be quite an expensive one for the club to swallow, especially if they have to write off the last couple of years of his deal. It is. Um, you need to say that you know, effectively Peña, Herrera, um, Cardozo cost them money as well. You know, that kind of trio over the... Along with Candias, obviously, who's turned into a good signing for, for Pedro Cachina and, and Morelos. One thing you have to say about Cachina's uh, <coughs> signing policy, as bad as um, Peña, Herrera and, and the rest of them have been, Morelos and Candias probably actually make it 
give them a positive outlook in yeah, terms yeah. overall because the value of those two yeah. has been more than probably that they spent on the others. It's, it's 600,000 when they lost is a million. So you think the return they've got out of them no, they're not going to make any money on Candias, but they'll certainly make a profit on Morelos when he, when he eventually moves on. You would think, um, but no, there's no getting away from it. No, that 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 trio, Pena, Herrera, Cardozo, has cost them a lot of money, and is going to continue to cost them a lot of money in terms of trying to get uh, certainly the two Mexicans finally off the off the wage bill, and so the club can can try and move forward again. Do you get a sense that there'll be an agreement made because probably Carlos Peña himself won't fancy another couple of years in, yeah, the, in the Scottish weather sitting in the reserves? Aye, of course there'll be a compromise. I mean, Peña's not going to spend the next two years running around uh, Murray Park with the, with the youths in the, in the pouring The Hummel Training so, Centre, Scott. Sorry. Uh, or Rockin' Howie. <laughs> he'll, no, uh, he'll certainly not no fancy that. He might fancy... No, two years of the Glasgow nightlife <coughs> with no games on a Saturday but no I'd be surprised if he doesn't want to get back to get back to Mexico or, or no, Portugal or Spain or, or whatever um, and I think come January when it comes to the crunch and that loan deal with, with Cruz Azul does come to an end Rangers are going to need to act pretty pretty swiftly and get that get that done In terms of the player I mentioned earlier on Josh Windass and his uh well, you have to say credit to Simon Ferry for, for getting the interview yeah. and it was a fascinating hour and five minutes um, <laughs> I've rarely listened to coaches in my time quote um, I wanted to leave Ibrox when they accepted 2.5 million because I thought that was a, a poor amount to accept for me I was just I was just a bit baffled by, by the whole thing Johnny you're right it was fascinating and it was great to hear uh, as I say you say fair play. Some of us great to hear some of his limited insight yeah. into some issues. Fair play to <coughs> Sai for getting him yeah. getting him sat down and delving into some of the some of the, the issues regarding Windass, but I don't know, I was just a bit baffled by some of I mean you you touched on it there. I mean in one breath he said he just didn't bother listening to coaches or managers because he didn't think it was you know, he didn't think it was that worthwhile. Um but in the next breath he told us that his attitude was Terrific and training. I don't know how they two quite quite marry up. I don't know how your attitude can be great when you're not listening to your your coach or manager. There's um, a few contradictions like that. He was talking about Mark Warburton's bust up with Joey Barton, and he said, "Oh, I, do, I don't know what happened with Mark Warburton, Joey Barton, and Davey Weir, but there was an altercation, and that story hasn't been told." <laughs> you're like, so if, if if it hasn't been told, you obviously know it. That's the one thing they probably I thought they could have went in a wee Aye. bit more, but. Obviously, Windass, I think, was a bit reluctant to, to give all the details. Um, but no, listen, I don't think a lot of the stuff would have gone down well with, with most of the Rangers supporters. I think... It certainly didn't. I think a lot of it actually will have just kind of confirmed uh, many's, many fans' kind of thoughts on him in terms of his kind of mentality, if you like, about playing for Rangers. Um I don't think even now listening to the interview, I don't think he quite gets it. I don't think he grasps how Rangers. It's all about winning. No, you, no, this the club's been. No, it's kind of steeped in winning history. I mean, Rangers need to win every game they play in. I mean, he talks about losing a mother, a semi final to Motherwell at Hamden, like it was just the most normal thing in the world. I mean, it was. Some of the stuff 
I thought it was just ridiculous. Even the, the Kenny Miller story. Well, I was going to say that to you because it was almost like Josh had gone into it for his own PR purposes. Because whenever you're doing an interview like that when you're still playing, yeah. clearly you want to come across well. But actually the person who came out best from it was, was Kenny Miller. I mean, yeah. if Kenny Miller had had a PR company trying to set up um, a situation where he would look good, yep. he, he couldn't have dreamed for a better scenario than what Josh Windass put out there because Definitely. you had the 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 contrast between Windass, the sort of selfish, younger professional, and Kenny Miller, who, from everything Windass said, seems to completely understand what's required. Yeah. And the frustration that Kenny clearly felt that manifested itself in these bust-ups that he had, both with Kashina and then with Marty, it's becoming more understandable as time goes on and yeah. these things are coming out more. Yeah, you did. You get a real sense for what your Kenny Miller's, Lee Wallace's and others must have felt about some of the guys kicking around that squad at the time. Uh, when Windass talks about Kenny Miller ranting and raving in the, the dressing room after one of those games, and he was just desperate to get into the shower because he couldn't be bothered listening. I mean, that... <laughs> That's part of the, that's part of the problem. That's part of why they were why they were losing games like that. Um, listen, I, it's nothing against Josh Windass. I think he's a decent enough player. I th- he talks about the two and a half million. Personally, I think Rangers when I watch by getting two and a half million for him. Nothing um, he's done in the championship has, no. has suggested that that was anything I, other than a good deal for Rangers. I, I wouldn't blame the Rangers board for. Uh, no, for biting, biting Wigan's hand off to get to get two and a half million. Um, he 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 indicated that he felt that Stephen Gerrard didn't want to let him go. What's your take on that? Um, I can understand it in terms of Gerrard probably looked at him as someone at a good age. You well, know, clearly with some technical ability, um, a guy who could play in a few different positions. Um, I think at that early stage of Steven Gerrard's kind of you know, rebuilding of that Rangers team, he probably was a wee bit you know, gutted to, to lose him because you know, when he first came in and looked at the squad he inherited, you know, there was so much kind of dead wood there that, that he had to get rid of. You know, Windash, he probably would have initially put in a group that, right, I'm going to, I want to keep a hold of him and have a look at him, he can maybe, maybe do a job. But no, now looking back, I don't think Gerard would be too. I don't buy Scott that that Stephen Gerrard had anything that happened in the summer that he wasn't completely happy with. Yeah, he had massive autonomy there to to shape the squad in the way he wanted, and I don't believe for a second that if he'd said to Dave King, "Look, we need to keep this boy Josh Windass," that unless it was an incredible deal, you know, the kind of deal that Rangers can't turn down, that that they wouldn't uh, accept the deal. Yeah, and also. Stephen Gerrard's probably looking at the clubs that were interested in Josh Windass. With all due respect to Wigan Athletic, no, if that's if that's the biggest and the best team that are in for him at, at that price, then I think that tells you tells you all you need to know. I mean, there wasn't exactly top end championship or Roller on Ipswich. Yeah, I mean, Wigan. It's not exactly Premier League clubs uh, or huge clubs in the championship, but yeah battering your door down trying to get him uh, and as I say good luck to him I think he'll be a decent championship player he'll get a few goals but is he going to go in and play in the Premier League and make Rangers regret letting him go I just can't see it he could he's one of these players that um, could go on to be a £15 million player or he could get a free transfer in his next move you just don't yeah. know 
Um, but what I would say for me, the reading of the situation was that Gerard came in, he looked at the videos and he thought, here's a rough diamond that I could maybe work with. He went and met him in Dubai, obviously, that's been well publicised and went and Das talked about it in the interview. And I think Gerard thought, yep, this is a guy I can work with, this is a guy I can mould. But I think by the time pre-season had, had finished and uh, the offer was on the table, I just think Gerard had seen a bit more of him in a game situation and was seeing that perhaps it'd be more difficult to get out of him what, what his potential suggested he could produce. Yeah. But, what, but what does it say about somebody's attitude, Johnny, that you know, Stephen Gerrard, a guy who you've grown up no, idolising, basically, no, sure any young English player who watched Stephen Gerrard growing up would have felt that way. He comes into the club as the manager, he indicates that you're going to be part of his plans and that, that he wants to you know, he wants to keep you, you're going to play your part. But a few games in, because you're playing out wide and not through the middle where you want to be, you effectively start throwing the toys at the, at the pram and going asking the manager, no, I should be playing in there. And I'm sorry, but that, that to me is just not the attitude that, that you should have as a, as a player, especially when a guy like that walks through the door. Um, and if Rangers are going to move forward and going to try and get back to where they want to be in terms of winning trophies and winning titles. They're going to need guys to really knuckle down, do things that they don't particularly want to do, play in positions where they don't particularly want to be. If Scott Arfield was asked to play wide left on Rangers' next game, I'm sure he would do it with minimal fuss. I just don't think Josh Windass had that, had that kind of mentality. I don't think he had that in him. And ultimately... That's why I don't think he was ever really going to be a, a top player for Rangers. Agreed. Right, we'll move on then to um, the Lone Rangers, with my uh, Tonto pun at the start, which you grimaced up quite correctly. Poor, 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 poor. But anyway, we are going to discuss the five guys that Rangers have in their squad and how they've done this season, and whether or not Steven Gerrard should keep a hold of them or not. So we're going to start, first of all, with uh, Ryan Kent, Scott, do you think this is one that, that Rangers can, first of all, and should make permanent? Uh, undoubtedly, they should want to do it. Um, I think Ryan Kent's shown more than enough to suggest that he can be a big player in this Premiership and even uh, as, he's, as he's done so far this season. We've spoken about it before. I think it's clear he's not going to go back to Liverpool and trouble their first team, he's not going to get in there ahead of guys like, like Manny and, and Salah and the, and the rest. So, Ryan Kent and his representatives will even now be looking around and think, right, what's our best option here? And given the fact that he seems to have really enjoyed this spell at Rangers, Stephen Gerrard's put a lot of faith in him. Um, he's played in big games, he's started big games. I'd be really surprised if the player and his agent no, haven't got Rangers at the top of the list in terms of a potential destination at the end of the at the end of the season. Um, however, Rangers he's got a contract at, at Liverpool, so Rangers are going to need to pay for him. Um, yeah, he's, he's on a contract till two thousand twenty-two, Scott. Yeah, and sadly that sadly for Rangers that means there will be other clubs interested, and in, we all know with the the finances um, in English football that. No, a championship club, just say 
Allied United, uh, Sheffield United, somebody like that could probably come in and blow Rangers out the water in terms of a, a transfer fee. So that's when it will really come down to A, what the player wants, and B, probably the relationship between Steven Gerrard and Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool in terms of trying to manufacture some kind of deal that no, that Liverpool kind of get what they want. Ryan Kent gets what he wants and obviously the Rangers get the, get the player he wants. So it's going to be interesting to see how that develops uh, in the summer. Yeah, for me the most obvious situation with Ryan Kent because of all those aspects that you've touched on there would be a, an extended second year loan. Yeah. Which would, for Liverpool's point of view, keep him in the shop window. He's still got a decent length of time on his contract and if once again he's going out and playing as well as he has done this season against European opposition, it, it really gives him an excellent opportunity to get that kind of move that would make Liverpool a decent amount of money. So yeah. that seems the most obvious because if a Derby County is willing to pay £8 million for Martin Waghorn, then you, you know you, you can't imagine how much they're going to pay for someone like Ryan Kent if they're looking at what he's producing and then thinking, well, he's a Liverpool player as well. Yeah. So that, that and at the bargain would probably push the price up. Um, th- that one's fairly obvious, Scott, in terms of you want to keep on based on how he's done. Um, but I'm going to give you a slightly more difficult one now, um, which is um, uh, Lasana Koulibaly. Um, now, I think we would have said early doors that this is a guy that Rangers must sign. But since his injury seems to have regressed slightly from my point of view, now it's slightly more clouded. What's your take? I think he certainly regressed slightly, Johnny, in terms of his performances. I would agree with that. Um, I think there's an issue with Koulibaly, and this is just a personal thing that I've, that I've touched on before. I don't think he can play that sitting role in front of the, the back four. I agree. Don't, I don't think he's. Uh, I don't think he's technically gifted enough for it in terms of getting Rangers out with passes the way Ryan Jack does. And I'm, listen, I'm not saying Ryan Jack's a, a world beater here, but Ryan Jack does a lot of the simple things really well, makes them look really easy. You know, it's comfortable in tight situations, always willing to take the ball off his centre-backs or the, or the full-backs and build Rangers' play. I don't think Koulibaly is uh, adept at that. Um, I think Koulibaly's game has to be further forward the way Rangers play either as a, a number 8 or a number 10 those two positions that play in front of the, the sitter because to me he's all about raw aggression power getting into the box you know, winning headers winning tackles getting the ball back uh, that is is what his game's all about so that that's what I think no, without I don't want to be too critical of him because he's played in games as a sitting midfielder and I think you know, he hasn't looked he hasn't looked that good. But I think that's the reason. I don't think that's his natural position. And what I would in terms of keeping him you, know, you talked about like rough diamonds earlier on, he's still only twenty two, I think, um which is still young and I think Gerard will look at that and think, No, we can develop this guy. I mean he's got all the physical attributes to be a really good player in, in Scottish football um, so I still think as I said despite this kind of slight regression in the last few weeks that you talk about I still think Rangers will look to, to try and get him. Yeah I would agree with that overall I, I think he lacks tactical discipline 
Yeah. Um, that that's what marks out the greats in that position. Makaleli, Abari Ferguson. Yeah. These guys just run the game from that position because the ball's in that area so often. Yeah. But for me, as you say, Kula is a guy who wants to burst into space. Yeah. And uh, he just doesn't have that ability to sit and dictate. And that's where you're going to struggle as a defensive midfielder if you don't have that in your game. Against Sparta at Moscow uh, another week, Ali McAleast in the co-commentary actually made a great point and it summed it up perfectly. There was, there was a point in the game where Koulibaly collected the ball in the kind of inside left position and as you're watching it on the TV screen, you can see that Taverni is in acres of space on the other side of the park. It's a simple switch of play. We need loads of time and room all it needed was one touch, a kind of swivel, and you no, know, get it over to Taverni. But he took the ball in, he took one touch, he took another touch, he turned round, he then didn't want to pass it because there was a there was a Spartak player kind of in his road, but but not really. So he then took it to the side before kind of curling a kind of slow pass to Taverni, and McCoyst and Co-Commentary picked up on it and said, at the moment in this game. Koulibaly is passing the ball when he wants to pass it as opposed to when his teammates want to receive it and to me that's how he plays in that position which is which is no use to, to anybody um, as I say I feel from slightly because I don't think it's his game you look at him physically and think he'll be a really good sitting midfielder but he's not because if I, if I flip it over to uh, I've watched Celtic in the last couple of weeks where Callum McGregor's had to get into that Scott Brown position. Granted, it's easier in games where you're on top and you've got lots of the ball, but Callum McGregor in that position has been brilliant because he's literally just playing two-touch football, just keeping them ticking over, ticking over, switching play, no really That's, incisive passes. I actually think Ajaria could play that role, Scott. He could. He yeah. could. You need to be comfortable in the ball. Yeah. It's not about nowadays that... Sitting midfield role, it's not about being a destroyer in there. Um, Deep line playmaker, the, the Pirlo role is taken over from the Makaleli role in a way. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, and even if you look, even if you look at Kante at Chelsea, who well, he's been usurped by Jorginho. That's, that's what I'm going to say. Yeah. Kante, no, was seen for the last couple of years at Leicester and Chelsea as the absolute stick on sitting midfielder because, in the world. because he breaks up play he gets in about people no, he's nipping at people's ankles but Sarri has went in looked at Kante and realised everything that he's got and wants it in the team but he just doesn't want it sitting in front of his back four he wants it no, one up where, where I'm saying Koulibaly should be playing and where Koulibaly has played for Rangers in certain games this season Jorginho has gone in there because he's just Technically outstanding with, with both feet, and as you say, he can just run the game, uh, run the game from from deep. So that's my kind of thoughts on Koulibaly, and I think Rangers will still look to do some sort of deal with with Angers in the summer because I think Gerard will see real potential to, to develop him. We don't need to go into Umar Sadiq other than to say that I don't think either of us think that's going to be a deal that's going to last any longer than January. No. Um, Joe Worrell, I think, has done pretty well. However, my understanding was that it was uh, talk of an £8 million bid from Burnley not to 
much before Rangers signed them on loan. I don't think that's ever been mooted as a deal that was had much chance of continuing beyond the season, was there? I th- not really. I mean, I think Steven Gerrard would want to do it because I think clearly he's a big, he's a big fan of him. He's only uh, 21. Yeah. The, the, the worry with, with that one is, in terms of Rangers trying to keep him, is that normally with these things, you know, we obviously go and interview these players when they arrive on loan and then at times during the season. And normally, I mean, I'd say kind of you know, eight, nine times out of ten, the guy speaks really highly about the club and also uh, kind of speaks really passionately about trying to get a permanent deal or trying to get a longer deal. You no, know, Joe Borrow hasn't done that at all. Uh, you no, know, Rangers, Nottingham Forest are still a big club, obviously, but, but more importantly, they're his club, they're his local club, they're where he's grew up. His ambition, whether Rangers fans like it or not, is to... Know, to play for Nottingham Forest and then ultimately play in the Premier League whether it's for Forest or somebody else so in terms of Rangers want to keep him that would be a concern that, that he's not he's not outwardly showing any real desire to, to stay beyond his loan spell he looks as if he's seen this very much as a kind of a stepping stone either to go back to Forest or to go elsewhere in, in England There's so much um, in that in terms of Forest's position will affect how this deal goes. Because if they go up to the uh, Premier League and they decide they're going to splash the cash on centre-half, well, he's already fifth choice. He'd probably drop even further down the pecking order. Having said that, they stay in the Championship. They've got Michael Dawson, who's playing very well for them at the moment, but he's yeah. not getting any younger. You know, he the, he packs it in at the end of the season or is allowed to leave because of his age. And maybe a, an opportunity comes up for Joe Worrell. So perhaps it's a bit like Ryan Kent in that there could be another loan deal. Yeah. Um, but for me, I think it's one that, that has the potential to just be a one-season thing. Um, moving on to Ovi Ajaria, Scott. He's a player that I think has impressed a lot of people, certainly with his technical quality. He's a rough diamond. Uh, but I think he's one that, that Liverpool uh, fancy the look of, from what I've heard from people in Liverpool. Yeah. So I, I, was I, going to, I was going to say, I mean, I think with Ajaria, probably more so than Kent, it will be about what Liverpool feel is the next step in his development. No, and that's anyone's guess at the moment. No, they might see another loan at Rangers because of his performances up here this season. Uh, they might see uh, another year in Scotland under Steven Gerrard as the right thing to do. But they might also look at it and think, no, we want him to go to the, the Championship because we see it as a better, a better league. He could go to another... Premier League club on loan lower down if they want to get him into that level or they could even want him to go abroad who knows I mean these clubs in England now are sending so many young guys out on loan we're seeing more and more going abroad um, to to kind of sample a different style style of football because they think it makes them a more rounded player before they come back so who knows Rangers will definitely uh, want to keep Ovi Ajaria based uh, on what we've seen yeah on another certainly on another loan deal if they can do it he's still young enough to do that but it'll all depend on, on what Liverpool want and again as I touched on with Kent the key thing might be Gerard's relationship with, with Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp um, no, for want of a better expression Stephen Gerrard will hope that Klopp does him a couple of favours and if there is other clubs in for them 
no, Gerard and Rangers will still get the still get the nod. And Liverpool will be absolutely delighted with the way Rangers have handled these young players. Definitely. Because we heard about how in the past uh, Man City, for example, uh, haven't been uh, sorry, not Man City. Um, Chelsea weren't happy with how Celtic handled uh, yeah, the Belgian Masonda, the Belgian kid. And uh, they felt that like he wasn't getting enough game time, and then there was reports that that would potentially affect future loans. Yeah. Uh, what they can't say is that Liverpool will feel that way because these two boys have had probably more football in the the three or four months they've been at Ibrox than yeah. they have in their entire and, careers. And also, you know, whatever the circumstances might have been, I don't know. But I mean, Ryan Kent went to Bristol City on loan, which Liverpool would have seen as a good move for his development going to the Championship, and. No, he played games but didn't he quite work out from him without losing his place he sat on the bench a lot he was kind of I think he was kind of in and out so whatever's happened there no, it hasn't been ideal for Liverpool you're not telling me that Ryan Kent's performances this season for Rangers in Scotland and in the Europa League wouldn't be good enough to get him a game at Bristol City so he's clearly happy here he's clearly you know, producing some of his best football under Steven Gerrard whatever whether it's Gerrard Know, putting an arm around them, giving up a bit of confidence, showing faith in them, whatever it might be, you're right, Liverpool will look at it and think that's been a really good move for him, whatever we decide to do with him, that's been a good move because he's playing every week, he's got a lot of minutes under his belt, he's playing well, he's confident, he's happy, that's ultimately ultimately what Liverpool would want for any, any loan move. OK, before we go, Scott, I've asked for questions, so I want to go through these quick fire styles, so don't give me too long answers on them. I know that'll be difficult for you because you're rabbit on something <laughs> rotten. Um, so, first of all, from at Barton Peel, is there a Scottish number 10 that would improve Rangers? Scott Allen. Well, we've said that that caused a bit of controversy last week. I don't think Scott Allen would improve, if I'm being honest, I don't think he would improve Rangers' best 11. I think he would improve the squad... And I think he would be good for certain games. But in terms of improve the first 11, I don't think there's anyone that, that jumps out at me. No. Um, certainly that's affordable. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, certainly no Scottish and affordable. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we'd improve the first 11. I stick by my guns. Scott Allen, if he went elsewhere from Celtic, could potentially end up at Rangers if he got back to full fitness and full form. And I think... In that number 10, he could still offer Rangers something, but I, I can't see it happening. At Grant Archer is asking, do you think the rotation works? I think it does. I think it's necessary in, in the modern game. If you look at the amount of games Rangers have played, 26 so far this season, or is it now 27 now, they, they absolutely need to do some sort, some sort of rotation to keep I players fresh. Say, I, th I think it's because of Europe, it's been a necessity. I mean, you just the amount of games Rangers have played by this stage in the season... I don't think you could have done it just with the same, the same eleven, the same fourteen, fifteen guys. I mean, Times have moved on from the Jim McLean year. Yeah, I mean, listen, in saying that, if Rangers weren't in the Europa League, and I've said this a couple of times now, no punters might not want to hear it, but I think Rangers, no title chances or title hopes would have been enhanced if they weren't in the Europa League. Uh, yeah, I think I don't think you get much disagreement I, even from hardened Rangers fans on that. I think it's been it's been a positive for them in terms of money, confidence, Steven Gerrard's start as a manager, probably squad kind of resilience and team spirit, um, and a few big nights at, at Ibrox. But ultimately, if Celtic were in the Europa League, 
the way they are the now, and Rangers literally just had league game after league game. I think it would have really enhanced their, uh, their, their title credentials. And, and if that had been the case, there would have been an argument for Steven Gerrard not to tinker with it too much. If they were winning in league games every week, in terms of you know, taking the back four, for instance, there's an argument to say, no, no, you keep the back four as it is. But when you're playing Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, with the four qualifiers Rangers had, it was uh, it was an absolute necessity to try and, try and mix it up a bit. And at Royal Blue 1872, any Scottish-based players you could see Rangers going for? That also follows on from at Grant Archer 1980's question, any speculation on transfer targets for the January window? No, really, at the moment. I mean, Rangers will definitely have their targets, of course they will. Uh, I try to maybe think about it this afternoon. I mean, goalkeeper-wise and back-four-wise, I don't know about you, I don't see Gerard trying to strengthen in those areas. He's got four centre-backs. He's got Barisic, Flanagan, Taverni, Halliday, Wallace, all capable of playing full-back. They've been at Motherwell a few times. Uh, certainly at the start of the season. Now, that might have been just to scout the opposition. Yeah. Um, but there has been a bit of speculation with Chris Cadden coming to the end of his contract. Is he somebody that could um, fit in as a potential right-back replacement for Tavernier um, to give him a little bit of uh, rest now and again? Because you, you look at Flanagan there, he's not the same kind of player, is he? No. I mean, potentially... As a flying right-back you can create? Maybe. Uh, I really like Chris Cadden, really honest, uh, honest pro, does a great job, wherever you ask him to go, has done for Motherwell in Scotland under 21s and stuff. Could he get to at the level Taverny is at, no. in terms of assists and goals and, no. Uh, I'm talking about as a squad addition. Stuff. No, I'm, I'm not sure, I think that's, I don't think he'll be at that kind of level. Um Scottish players kicking about at the moment. It's hard, Johnny. I mean, it's hard for Rangers to go and get these guys because well, how much money are they going to cost? If there's if there's if there's really talented players in Scotland, the big clubs in England will be all over it. I mean, look at take Scott McKenna for instance at Aberdeen. Yeah. Years ago, Scott McKenna, young centre back at Aberdeen, Rangers would have been looking at him and thinking could maybe go and get him, but. I mean, Aston Villa are bidding seven million quid from in the in the yeah. summer, so that's not even Rangers ballpark. So I think it's tough now for Rangers to go and get. I think they actually need to go if it's young Scottish players. They either need to you know rely on their own in terms of producing the best possible youngsters they can for their own academy, or really finding guys, you no know, gems out there at a, at a young age, maybe at other clubs, maybe at lower league clubs. So that would be um, like going to someone like Hibbs just now and saying, yeah, we realise Ryan Porteous is a bit rough around the edges, but we're going to come in with a million pound offer before he becomes a four million yeah, or five million pound maybe, player two years down the line. Listen, even then, Ryan Portis, Portis is an established Scotland under 21 international who plays most weeks for Hibbs. I think Hibs would, would laugh at a million quid, to be honest, right. at the moment. Uh, because I think they right. say, they'll know that the other clubs in England will be will be watching them. Uh, I'm talking more about you know, looking at guys like Lauren Shankland, for instance, who I know is a wee bit older now, but when he was released with Aberdeen, you know, people were 
not necessarily surprised that he'd been released for Aberdeen because I think even Lawrence himself would admit no, his fitness wasn't the best it could be, maybe didn't apply himself enough. But there was raw talent there. No, the fact that he was in and around Aberdeen's first team at such a young age had done reasonably well on loan. There was a talent there. What I mean is when he got released to Aberdeen, you would like to think Rangers would have still been kind of keeping tabs on him. And, and now, listen, I'm not saying he'd get out of the Rangers team at the moment, but my God, his goal-scoring record is phenomenal. 15-50. Yeah, I mean, for a young, uh, relatively young Scottish player, it would certainly be worth uh, worth having a look at. OK, well, on that controversial note, I'll leave you to deal with the Twitter fallout from that one, Scott, as you recommend uh, Lauren Shanklin for, uh, for Rangers. Ah, why not? <laughs> That's all from us. We'll be back next midweek with more news and analysis of all things Rangers. If you want to get in touch with us to continue the debate, and I'm sure some of you will do after that, uh, Scott is at Scott McDermott 8. That's Scott McDermott 8. And I'm at Jory R. McFarlane. Don't forget to subscribe at iTunes or Acast to get the podcast as soon as it becomes available. And if you liked it, please review and rate us on there too. Thanks for listening. Hanging on the edge of the wire. Hanging on the edge of desire.